So, first Sunday as a new church. It's a very interesting experience. As many of you know, who've been a part of our community, we've been uh, renting space here at what was formerly known as St. Luke's. And uh, they meet at 11 o'clock, and uh, we're cent- we were Central City Church. And moving forward, we voted last week through a very formal process in our denomination to merge, and we are now City View Church with a 9.30 contemporary service, contemporary in quotes, because it's got some, you know, some ancient practices, and uh, an 11 o'clock traditional service, uh, and I'm now the pastor of both churches. So we're, we're starting with a new series called All In. Um, you know, growing up, I used to go to uh, Tennessee to the Smoky Mountains. Any, anyone, anyone ever been? You ever, you ever go like back in the day? So my dad grew up in Tennessee, and there's a couple of spots in Tennessee. One called the Y, and it's not a YMCA. It's a Y in the river. And there's one called the Sinks. Anyone ever heard of these? No? Yeah. So my dad was a, like a townie, you know, in that area. And this was the place people would go to cliff jump. Anyone ever jump off a cliff in the water? It's the best. And turns out really dangerous, because if you go there today, there's definitely large signs and like wire that's like, don't do this. But when I was young, and you know, this was after you had to wear seatbelts, but before you know, modern day safety precautions, um, you could. And I loved it as a kid, climbing up the rock, jumping in. It was always scary. It was always thrilling. It was always an experience. And when I think about this new series and this new season we're in, that's the invitation. You might be feeling all of the things. You might be a little nervous and a little anxious, but I promise you it's great. I have a a son, uh, many of you know, he'll be running around here somewhere. He's six, uh, Finn. And uh, when I was raised, uh, my parents maybe get up in the summer way too early before the local pool opened to take swimming lessons. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I hated it. Just hated it. It was freezing cold. It was always so early in the morning, it was way too cold. I shouldn't have been in the water. I never really learned how to swim that great. I remember one time I was, I was doing the backstroke in a competition. Now you gotta remember, I was like in second grade. I was very young, but I was doing the backstroke somehow. And uh, I went, And I got to the end, I was like, I made it to the other side of the pool, this is a huge win, only to realize it was a false start and I had to walk all the way around the pool and do it again. So, not a big fan, but here's what I realized just this morning as I was thinking about this. Um, Probably because of my own experiences, I haven't quite yet made Finn, my son, take swimming lessons, which is a bad parenting decision, by the way, because swimming lessons is like a safety thing, like your kids should know how to swim. But one of the side effects of that is uh, Finn hates getting his face wet. And so bath time and showers, and thankfully he's not, he's not up here, right? He, he would not want me talking about this. Sorry, guys. Don't tell him I said this story. He hates them. And he loves to swim, but he still is terrified of getting his face wet. And I was thinking about this. Because what I love about swimming is being fully immersed. And, and, and maybe it's because I'm a little sensitive to stimulus and loud noises, but when I go fully underwater, anyone know that feeling when you're just underwater and the pressure's against you and you sink to the bottom and everything is just... And like all of the chaos in the world goes 
quiet and it's relaxing. If you don't know this feeling, um, I love it's one of the great feelings in the world of just sitting, floating, completely immersed in the water. And my son has never experienced this before. We're going to talk about this series, what it means to be the church and what it means to be all in. I'm here to tell you that when when you give your entire life and all that you have, heart, mind, soul, and strength, to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, it is a difficult, scary, sometimes experience, but there is a great peace that surpasses all understanding. And what I've seen in my life, and what I'm guessing you've experienced in yours, is sometimes because of your experiences or because you haven't gotten swimming lessons yet or because someone threw you in the pool when you were too young, there's a lot of reasons for it, but you might be scared to put your head underwater. And the question I'm going to reflect on as we kind of walk through this is what are you holding back? What are you holding back? And you know what? It might be based in real fear. People have had bad experiences in the church. One of the common threads in our experience as a church is that people have had previous bad experiences. So I have zero judgment if you're holding something back. Holding back can be healthy. It can be part of healing. But my hope is, is that we can kind of heal and we can process and we can find a way where we can live fully immersed in the grace of God. What a beautiful image today as we experience baptism and the waters of God's grace. What does it mean to be just doused in it and, and all in? So today we're going to talk about what it means to be the church, and over the next couple of weeks we're going to be preparing. All of this is leading to two things, or a couple of things. One, at the end of this series we're going to have a ministry fair. So if you're a part of this church, there's going to be opportunity after a joint service later this summer where you're going to be able to go and meet people and learn about how you can get involved either in children's ministry, greeting, a variety of other places, small groups. And I want you to be reflecting on where it might be a good place for you to plug in. But also, as a new church, we're spending some time together talking about what it means to be a church before we have our grand opening. So we're operating a City View church, but later this fall, we're going to have a grand opening where we really tell the community that we're here as a new community. And so we want to be ready for that event. And we're going to, so it's really important for us to talk about what it means to be all in, in the community that God has called us to. So to do that today, we're going to start very basic. We're going to look at one of the most famous passages in Acts that talks about what it means to be a church. It's this beautifully concise paragraph that describes the church life right at the start of church, before, you know, before Christians messed it all up because the early church got really messy and there was a lot of conflict. But before that, when it was still like in the honeymoon phase and when it was still beautiful, we're going to look at that passage. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. It's Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47, but I believe the words will be on the screen as well. So I'm going to read it and then we're going to reflect on it. Here's what it says. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I've been a a Christian for a while. not bragging. I didn't have any role. I mean, I was just raised that way. And uh, so I've run across this passage more than once. Um, It's a popular passage. I've spent time with it. 
And I love it when I come across a, a familiar passage and I look at it in a new way. And as I was studying this passage, I learned something new about it that I hadn't considered. And I want I want to, you know, and it's my job then to share this stuff with you that I think is interesting. And hopefully about half of you find it interesting as well. But uh, there's really kind of one of the ways that uh, this passage has been, what, what, when you read this passage, and I've done this all the way back into like, this is one of the ways people read the passage. You, you try to come up with a list. What are all the things the early church did, and how do I translate that into modern day? So how do you summarize the activities of a church, of a local body of people trying to be more like Jesus? And so there's lots of ways you can summarize it. People have spent, wrote, written entire books on trying to summarize what it means to be a church. And this one commentary took this passage and summarized it in a very interesting way. He said, the first verse here, verse 42, is the summary. And it's divided into four things. Uh, And then everything else fits underneath those. So go to the next slide. I believe I have a chart for this. So you've got apostles teaching, fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. This is one way to summarize the activity of church. And then you have these other things that kind of highlight or work within these other things. There, there are other ways. There's other ways to talk about what it means to be a church. Let me, let me share a few of those just to kind of help you. And I, I trust in your ability to connect dots, okay? This is the, the way we describe it. We have a, what we call a rule of life. Here's the rhythms that we do. It means to connect relationally, to grow spiritually, to serve regularly, to give generously, to reach intentionally and to engage cross-culturally. So this is how we kind of like summarize the church. Now, I'm going to suggest that these are not in contradiction with what Paul has written and that they line up really well if you're able to connect some dots. I'm not going to do that today. I'm just going to trust that you're able to. Another way, this was actually a book that was very popular, written by a United Methodist bishop. Um, It's called Five Fruitful Practices. You'll see they're very similar. They said, here's the activities of a church. Radical hospitality. Risk-taking mission and service, extravagant generosity, intentional faith development, and passionate worship. I, I cannot overstate the massive amount of time and energy people have put in to trying to summarize what the church does. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a very big endeavor and uh, may or may not be interesting. But, but I want to start at Acts 2 and just what, you know... What Paul, uh, what, what, the, what Luke, the writer of Acts, is talking about in Acts chapter 2. Um, so let's, let's go there. Here's the first one, apostles teaching. Um, here, here's what's happening in the apostles teaching. You have to remember that the early church was just born. And the early church was meant to be the body of Christ. But all of these people were starting to be interested in followers of Jesus who had never met Jesus. They hadn't spent time with Jesus. They hadn't heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon in the Valley. They had heard rumors of Jesus, but they were visiting. Many of them were visiting Jerusalem because of Pentecost, and they they didn't know Jesus personally. And and we say, you know, a personal relationship with Jesus. I'm meaning that literally. Jesus had just walked the earth, and they hadn't met the physical incarnate God who'd walked the earth because he had died, rose, and ascended into heaven, and they hadn't met him. But you know who had? The apostles. That's what they're talking about here. This isn't about teaching the Apostles' Creed or teaching doctrine. This was about learning from people who had learned from Jesus. See, they wanted to become more like Jesus, so they were committed to spending time with people who had spent time 
with Jesus. And, and can I just say that that still works? Do you want to become more like Jesus? Spend time with someone who makes an effort to spend time with Jesus. It's still a good idea. Now, part of uh, Apostles' teaching was that they were filled in awe and there were these signs and wonders. And this is a callback to the way in which the Bible talks about God's call in our lives. So whenever God would tell someone to do something, he always provided a sign so you could be confident. I don't know if you've ever wrestled with your experience with God, but, but signs where God shows up in profound ways, you're like, okay, okay, yeah, I could, God must be in this. And uh, I can tell God's in this because of these strange circumstances, these, these strange coincidences lined up, and, and I experienced God in that. I was thinking about our most recent endeavor as a church to become a new church, an emerged church, and I asked the question, I said, you know, if God was in it, then there should have been some sort of, you know, sign. We should have been able to identify some things, and I was thinking about it, and here's a couple of them that came to mind. So St. Luke's historically has had a class for adults with disabilities, as many of you know, a phenomenal class called the Friendship Class, and uh, the pastor of St. Luke's had been leading that class, and in the merger, he was moving on, and so one of the big gaps in the merger conversation was who was going to run the Friendship Class. And quite frankly, we didn't have anyone in our community or anyone in St. Louis community who was gifted and called or equipped to lead that class, and we did not know who was going to fill that role. So I sent out a variety of emails, as I like to do, love the email, and by that I don't. And, uh, but I sent out all these emails, and you know, this person, her name's Amanda, got the email. She had just, like the day before, gotten her certificate from a seminary for ministry with adults with disabilities and was looking for a new appointment as a pastor. And within two weeks, she became the associate pastor of the friendship ministry with experience, education. I mean, one of the major, I mean, if you're looking for a sign, I mean, you can't, it's so great. You know, when we did the vote last, last week, we had no no's on the merger, which I don't know if a church has ever voted on something. There wasn't at least one no. Uh, there was one abs abs abstention, so I'll name that, but no no's. And then we had to set a new leadership board. These are just little signs that mean something to me. Maybe they don't mean anything to you, but we had to set a leadership board. We accepted applications for that, and uh, we only had so many spots, and we had the exact number of leadership applications for the right group of people. We didn't have to tell anyone no there either. These are little things that I'm like, you know what? I feel like God's in this. Now, could God be in it even if things don't work out? Yes. I trust that God is always with us and working with us. But when big moments happen in our lives and there's something new happening in the life of the church, it's really comforting to see God work and for things to line up. And that's what was happening in the other church. They, they believed what the apostles were saying because they could see signs of God's spirit at work amongst them. And so they took the apostles' teaching, their experiences of Jesus, seriously because of it. And that's part of what it means to be the church. The second one is fellowship. So in fellowship, they had everything in common. They had everything in common. They, they sold all of their property, and they shared with whoever had need. I, uh, fun fact, I, uh, I, I actually really like talking about generosity. Uh, we have on our website and other places that generosity is the foundation of everything we do, and, and I believe that. We try to be generous with everything we do. And, uh, but I got to be it. As I was reading this, I hadn't thought about gener. I would put generosity in its own category, what the church does. But, but the Luke in the book of Acts puts it under this 
heading of fellowship. And I hadn't thought about how generosity creates community. Now, I want to be very clear about generosity. I'm not, I'm not, generosity is not about the amount that you give. And, I, and I'm, you can, when I say give, I mean your money. I am talking about money here. But also your time, uh, your emotional relationship availability, all of these things, right? And it's not about the amount. It is always about the sacrifice. See, Jesus tells this little story, this experience in the Gospels where this uh, widow who had nothing uh, gave like basically the equivalent of a, of a half penny or something into the offering, and people kind of laughed at that because it's like they, she didn't give very much. But what Jesus knew was that it was everything she had. So it was a much bigger sacrifice than the person who gave a 1,000 coins when they own a million And so when I talk about generosity, I'm not talking about the amount you give. I'm talking about the level of which it is a sacrifice to you. And what happens in community is that if you want a place, we talk about belonging, you belong here. If you want a sense of belonging, if you want a sense of connection in a community, I promise you this, it will not happen unless there's mutual generosity. And I mean specifically mutual generosity because if generosity is one-sided, if I have money, time, resources, and I'm the one who always gives it, and you all are the ones who need it, that is not community. You know what that creates? Creates an us and them. Do you know what an us and them is? It's literally the opposite of community. It is deep separation. I have, you don't, you need what I have, so I'm gonna show up and serve at the soup kitchen. Do do you see what I'm saying? Now, mutual generosity is about recognizing everyone, no matter what they have, have something to offer. And we enter into an authentic relationship when we receive from other people, as well as when we give. And when we do that, friends, that's community. That's what it means to be a community. The last one, um, no, the second to last one, I'm going to skip the prayer, is, is, it, it has to do with spiritual, our spiritual life. And he talks about it in a couple ways, uh, what it means to praise God, what it means to live in favor of all people. You know, at this point in the early church, everything was going really well. They, there's no laments yet. Uh, that would come later. They would find church life to be very difficult, but they're still in the honeymoon stage. And so all they had was to praise God, and, and they were living, and everyone liked them, which I want you to just say as a church, as we move into a new season, this is a goal. Maybe an unhealthy goal, but it's a goal. Don't you want to be liked by people? The reality is, is not everyone's going to like us. I have a fair number of people in my life who don't like me. I bet you have some people who don't like you either. But the goal is that we would live as such good neighbors that we would live in favor with all people and live in favor with God by the way we love God and by the way we love people. And if we do that, if we strive for that, we're going to grow. It says that numbers were added regularly. So this is our goal. We want to be a good neighbor. The last one is breaking bread. Specifically, they shared in the Lord's Supper. They, uh, they shared in what we're going to share here in a few moments, uh, breaking of bread and the offering of juice. One of the things our church is doing is uh, stuff around violence reduction. In the city of Columbus, uh, there are far too many murders to... Um, people uh, with, by gun, through, through violence, group and gang violence. And our church has made a commitment to reduce group and gang violence in the city of Columbus. 
And we've done that by partnering with the Department of Public Safety's uh, Violence Reduction Initiative. And a few of us from church had the opportunity to go to uh, an event on Tuesday night, and um, it was an extremely profound event. Basically, a, a handful of gang members who are tied to group and gang violence came, and then a whole bunch of community members, uh, uh, state attorneys, uh, the chief of police, uh, uh, a variety of people in various positions came and just shared a message of hope, saying we want everyone to be safe, alive, and out of prison. You, like, they're talking to this group of gang members, like, we care about you, you're a part of our community, we want you to be safe, we want the violence to stop. And it was, it was a very, it was an intense message. If it, we're gonna do this again, we're gonna be a part of one again, so I encourage you to put it in your list of things to, to show up to at some point. We'll, we'll, but afterwards, our church members were able to, to serve the meal to this population. And you know what was crazy? Is uh, watching uh, city council members talk to gang members and attorneys talk to gang members and community members and everyone going through this line as we handed them uh, 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 lasagna. I was tasked with the vegan lasagna, which uh, didn't go over well in this particular population. Would have gone well here, I think. But uh, not too many vegan lasagna lovers in that, that group. But um, uh, we were serving lasagna, watching this diverse community, the most diverse community ever. And then they all sat down and ate together and talked together. And I'm I had never felt more Jesus-y in my life. I was like, this is the kingdom of God. There is something about our faith that we are meant to be people who share a table with all, where we break bread together. And here's the thing about Jesus' body and blood being offered, is that it's, it's Jesus' body broken and blood shed. In other words, in order for us to share a meal with each other, there has to be a sacrifice, generosity. There has to be willing to give something up, to, to lay down your life. See, we share in the body of Christ through communion, but Christ says that we are the body of Christ. And the question we have to wrestle with as we think about what it means to be all in is what does it mean for us to be broken for the world and for our lives to be poured out for the world in order to lay down our lives so that community might be experienced, that we might see people from diverse walks of life show up and be loved so that our entire community, not just this church, but not just this neighborhood, but the city and the world, can become what God has called us to be. And so I'm going to invite you to, to share in communion now. And, uh, um, you know, it was on the night that Christ was betrayed that he took the bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and said, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And he took the cup and he shared it. This is a sign of a new covenant, a new opportunity to experience God's life in a new way. Here at Central City Church, anyone who wants to take communion is uh, welcome to. You're invited to. Um, anyone who's hungry for forgiveness or to experience God's grace, this doesn't have to be a church home. You're welcome to come forward. What we're going to ask you to do if you do want to take communion is we'll invite you to come up this side of the aisle. And I'll be here to, and you can grab the elements and then go back this way and it'll just help because the aisles and everything are pretty narrow. The last thing I'll say is that it's all gluten-free, um, including the gluten-free matzah. Um, so you're welcome to do that. So um, will you uh, pray with me? And then Travis, could you come up as well? And um, Maria, if you want to get ready, you can do that. So, God, we come before you and we ask that you would bless these gifts of bread and juice, that you would make them be for us the very body and blood of Christ, that you would beat us in this moment. 
We give you thanks and praise you in your name. Amen.